and welcome to episode six of Roaming Theater Collaborative's Shelter in Play. On this episode, we sit down with Alexander Wolf and tackle his short play Anthropos. Alexander Wolf continues tricking people into reading things he's written. He plans to continue doing this until enough people tell him to stop. There are a lot of good writers out there to watch for, and all are better than Alexander Wolf. Three of them are Monty Montalegra, Chase Newvin, and Michael Cruz. In the future, please make better choices and consider raising your standards for your art consumption. Alexander Wolf has. He no longer reads the things Alexander Wolf writes, and Alexander Wolf might be better for it. He also might not. That's up to him, like you are up to you. <laughs> well, whatever you think, we're very excited to have Alex on the show with us today. So without further ado, we present to you Anthropos by Alexander Wolf, featuring Spencer Gotchis, Tina Wong Lu, Keith Tavares, Emma Carter, Connor Eastman, Gavin Sietzma, and Spencer Frederick. Scene one, the heat. Two shirtless men walk on stage and sit down. One has a water bottle, which he swigs out of and passes to the other man. It's a hot one today. Goddamn right. I haven't seen one this hot in a while. Not for a few years, at least. You know what I want to be right now? What's that? Cold. Cold? Cold. You shitting me? Well, I ain't. Know what? What? I could stand to be cold myself. No kidding. No, not a bit. Cold. Frozen, even. Frozen. Whew. Now that's the drain. Well, it is at that. The two men each take a drink again and then spontaneously kiss each other. There is a slight pause. Whew. Cold. Frozen, even. You know, that's the that's the dream. Scene two, deathbed. An old man lays in bed, his family surrounding him. A heart monitor beeps weakly. Please come a bit closer. This, I think, is the last thing I shall ever say. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, I wish I had watched more commercials. People worked hard on them. The heart monitor flatlines. Scene three, fire. A man sits alone in a room facing a video camera. And I watched their faces through the window. I saw them pound the glass with their fists, knowing they couldn't break it, that they were just too small. Occasionally, you could hear noises above the roar. Never the children, but the pets. The pets were loud. After they caught the kids, not the pets, they stopped pounding with their hands and used their whole bodies, even their heads. They were good windows. They didn't break. Their parents drove up just when I thought they'd missed the whole show, just when the crowd was really starting to get big and the sirens were close. I'll, I'll give them both credit as parents. I mean, they didn't hesitate. They were out of the car and into the house faster than I would have thought they'd be able to move. They left the door open so you could hear them pretty good. I thought that was very considerate of them. The light goes red and a voice is heard, seemingly through a speaker. What did you do afterwards? Came here. 
Why? I just really wanted to tell somebody. Any reason? Well, I thought it was pretty cool. Scene four, exercise. A man stands before a small audience, a vision echoing a certain martyr preaching on the streets of a desert town. The crowd parts at a small signal and the man drops to his hands and begins to do push-ups. When he is exhausted, he stands again. Can anybody do more than that? The crowd all shake their heads. Very well, then I shall remain king for this day. Scene five, school marm. A teacher stands before her young, very excited students who sit in the floor in front of her in a half circle. Mr. Jenkins says, hey, 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 hey. And he gets in the old, beat up, beat up. run down, rusty, rusty. pickup truck, Broom. and he pours his beer, beer into his soda can and he drives home and when he walks in the door his wife says the kids all push one small girl into the middle of the half circle you lying sack of shit and mr jenkins says all the rest of the children get into a line and one by one each hits the small girl very hard hey 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 Hey! Hey! And so on. Eventually, the small girl crumples to the ground. When each kid has gone through the line, they all form the half circle again and sit. The small girl cries softly on the ground. And when Mr. Jenkins is all done with his fun, he never forgets to say... I just, I just love, love you, you so, so much. much. Now, who wants to be my big, brave volunteer helper for the day? All the children raise their hands. She picks one at random, pulls out a large, rusty pair of scissors, and hands them off to the volunteer. Remember, as always, a small piece for everybody and the eyes for me. Scene six, therapy. Two women sit in chairs facing a therapist who takes notes throughout the scene. And all of a sudden, I just, I don't know, it's hard to put into words, but you were just not as there as you were before. And it just, I don't know, it's hard to put into words, but you're not here. And I don't want to think of where else you might be, but I also want to know because I don't want you to keep anything from me because I want both of us to be here, but you're not, you're there. And it makes me sad. Any response? I try to be here. I try to be here as much as I can, but I don't want to be here all the time because if I'm always here and never there, then I have nothing to bring back. And if there's never anything brought back, then here is going to get stale, isn't it? Is it? Is it? But why can't I ever go with you when you're there? Why do I have to wait here? Mm. Well, what would happen if she went with you? If she went with me, then there would simply become here. And if we go all the way there just to have it turn into here, well, 
We haven't really moved, have we? What would happen if you went there yourself? I'd be worried the whole time. Why? If I go there and you go to your there, how do we know we'll end up here again? How do we know we won't get lost? I suppose we don't know. Scene seven, break in. We begin with a dark stage, a click and lights turn on. In the light, we see a homeowner holding a shotgun on a burglar who is in return brandishing a pistol. A stare down commences and continues for a good minute or so before both men slowly lower their guns and back off either side of the stage. Just before they exit, they pause, never taking their eyes off each other. Touche. The two of them back off the rest of the way of the stage. Scene eight. It is moments after Jesus has ended his stint on the cross, man takes him back to his hut and begins patching his wounds. There is a knock at the door. No. There is a sound of feet shuffling away. Then another knock. No. Once again, somebody hurries away. Another final knock. Man, fed up, goes to the door, opens it, and screams out. I said, no, motherfucker! Man returns to Jesus. Achoo! Bless you. Scene nine, handoff. It is the middle of the relay race. In slow motion, we see man one run up to man two, holding out a baton. They try to make the handoff, but man two trips and falls to the ground. Man one grabs the baton and begins to choke man two with it until man two goes limp. Man one pulls out a sharpie out of his pocket and signs the baton and lays it on the ground next to man two. Scene 10, dream, sweetly dream. A man in a suit walks onto the stage. Thomas. Thomas walks onto the stage. Yes. Welcome to your dream, Thomas. Thank you. You're very welcome, and I appreciate you being so polite. I don't come across many polite people. That's not to say that there aren't a few, but the majority... Well, you get my drift. Yeah, people suck. <laughs> people suck. Ah, how nearly eloquent. I love it. Couldn't have put it better myself. Can I get your name, if you don't mind? I'd give you mine if I had one, but I don't, so I shan't. Oh. Not much use for one, you see. Why is that? Well, I used to make up something whenever somebody asked, which happened pretty rarely because, as you said, people suck. <laughs> but everybody just eventually kept calling me the man. So I figured, what's the point? So you preferred the man? It doesn't much matter. A small noise. Maybe a bell. Maybe a bird. Maybe a laugh. The signal! It begins! The dream? The dream. Or dinner. Or both, depending on the vantage point. It's all perspective, you know. Yeah, you've lost me. Or if I suppose if you really wanted, you could call it justice. 
but that term is also so wrapped up in perspective that it doesn't really, well, some accidental humor here, it doesn't really do itself justice, you see. (laughs) Jesus, what did I eat before bed? Burger and fries, if I'm not mistaken. How do you know that? It's a dream, Thomas. It's all in your head. So I know everything you know, right? Right. Wrong. In fact, there is something that I know that you don't. Something important. What's that? Let's play a game, huh? I'm going to say two words, and you're going to tell me what they make you think of, okay? Uh, Okay. Let's see. The first word is ceiling. Ceiling. Thomas, what do ceilings make you think of? There isn't a ceiling. Oh, you already know what I'm talking about, don't you? And you're trying to hide it. You're so sweet. I'm a little confused. (laughs) No, not yet. You will be, though. The second word, Thomas, is Benjamin. More of a name than a word, really, but I still think it sticks out, works out. Do you remember Benjamin, Thomas? Do you remember Benjamin and the ceiling? Such a small boy. Such a tragedy. How long did they look? Weeks? Months? They're still looking. (laughs) But not for long. Because soon he'll really start to drip. And the plastic won't hold in the smell. And they'll go from looking to finding, eventually. But that won't really matter to you. Why not? Because his mother, his poor, lonely, grieving mother, she stopped looking. Why did she stop? Because she sent me, Thomas. And she knew I'd find you. And she knows what I do. And she wants me to do it to you. What do you do? I break your mind, Thomas. Because I can kill your reality. What? Do you know how scary the world is when you don't know what's real and what's not? Maybe it will scare you as much as you scared Benjamin. Maybe more. I hope so. You can't run from me, Thomas. Thomas exits the stage and quickly reappears. He tries again with the same result. This goes on until it stops. Given up. It's just a dream. Dreams can't hurt. Of course not. Everybody knows that. I, uh, I'll, I'll just wake up soon. In a couple minutes, actually. But not before I tell you. Tell me? What I do, Thomas. Tell you what I do. Okay. Here's what's going to happen. Your dreams are going to start feeling progressively longer over the next few nights. In a couple of weeks, it will feel like every dream you have lasts hours, even days, or weeks sometimes. And here's the kicker. They'll all be perfectly normal. 
it will feel just like you're going about your everyday life, except you will be dreaming. Do you see what I'm getting at? Kind of. The line between reality and dreams will start to blur for you, Thomas. It will start slow, just a couple of nagging doubts about whether you're awake or not. But after a couple months, in real time, not dream time, after a couple of months, you'll start to get a bit paranoid about it. You'll start to be unable to think of much else. And then it gets really fun because for one night, just one night, you won't dream at all. But will you even notice at that point? Will you? Thomas. Jesus. Eventually, of course, you'll kill yourself. But what if it happens that you kill yourself in a dream by accident? You'll just wake up. And then you'll go thinking that you know for sure that you're awake and the whole thing will stop and you won't dream at all for a long time, months even. And then it starts again and over and over until you finally do manage to kill yourself while you're awake. And when that happens, we'll chat again because Benjamin has a few questions for you, Thomas. He's waiting next to the throne, not the one upstairs or even the one downstairs, but my throne behind, in here. The man touches Thomas's forehead with a finger. We eagerly await your visit, but we'll have to be patient. For a while, at least. Goodbye, Thomas. Remember our little talk, if you can. Of course, dreams have a way of just slipping off into the ether in the light of day, don't they? Oh, well. See you soon. The man leaves. Thomas is alone on stage. He begins to cry. Very softly, but gaining volume, we begin to hear the sound of an alarm clock. End of play. All right, well, Mr. Uh, Alexander Wolf, welcome to Shelter and Play. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. We had uh, quite a good time getting uh, a cast of characters together for uh, Anthropos. So. Yeah, I mean, however you want to pronounce it, you know, the, the play is pretty clear. You do your thing with it. <laughs> yeah, we definitely tried to, tried to embrace that and have a little bit of fun with it. Oh, yeah, there's a little bit of fun to be had. <laughs> Oh, this is quite oh, a this, fun to be had. This is one of our uh, crazier scripts. We've had some wacky scripts, but this one is just everywhere, and it's so great. I love how weird you can get with it, and you open it up to it. Like I, I love that acceptance that you write at the beginning of, hey, take and do what you need to. I just, yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a bunch of like A B scenes from you know acting back in college and high school, just yeah. like one you haven't done a thousand and one times. Yeah, what was the inspiration for the piece? Um, I was lucky enough to be cast back in my uh, acting days in a play called Love and Information by mm -hmm. Carol Churchill. Ah, yes. Which is just sort of a, it's a loose conglomeration of scenes 
And the way our director, Jay Chipman, set that up was we would do them in slightly different orders every night. Um, we each were only identified by a number. So a few times throughout the show, the audience would roll dice and like a couple of people randomly chosen would come down and do a scene that like we all had memorized both sides of. And, you know, you had people running around the building. It was done kind of sort of in the round and kind of sort of not. And it was just, it, it was kind of a free for all, but it led to a lot of creativity if you were willing to embrace that. Yeah. That's a cool way to approach something. Plus you don't have to worry about like, Hey, you know, what's a, what's a through line or anything like that. <laughs> like just get it over with. Right. It's all, and it's, you know, variations on a theme, really. Yeah, uh, exactly. And that uh, theme can kind of be chosen by whoever's doing it, too. You know, you can kind of bend all of them to that same vision. Yes, I've seen Love and Information uh, before. Your, that production sounds much, much more interesting than what I did. Um, <laughs> the production I saw was very static. Um, it really played on the variations of love. It was like, mm. you know, just vignettes of like different kinds of love that was kind of the direction they had decided to take it yeah i can remember in ours we it's the only show i've ever been a part of that used sort of technology and like phones and communication as a part of it so the audience was encouraged to have their phones out to like video oh, wow. to you know tweet things about it and i mean that leads to you know if you know your lines and you're backstage for a bit you're going to get a little bit bored so it's like you start sending you know, dirty emails to your professors that you know are there that night and stuff like that to really make it an immersive show and a once in a lifetime experience. Absolutely, man. Um, so how does it compare to some of the other work that uh, you've written or, you know, tackled? It, it's a heck of a lot more abstract, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, the other things that are kind of, you know, in, in a finished state and could be shopped around are an hour long drama about a father and daughter recovering after like the loss of the other parent in the household. And then there's a big long, like two hour abomination about one man seeking revenge on another for just the smallest little reason and attempting to ruin his life completely. But, uh, yeah, they each have their own little bit of weirdness. The longer one is kind of fun because it goes through three very distinct stages and styles of performance. You start out very abstract with like a whole back cast coming on and providing like cardboard cutouts of props and sets and stuff like that. So it's super cheap. And then you move into like some super duper realism for the second one, which is a nice dinner scene. And then in the end, everything, like the stage is pretty much stripped bare and you get into the hyper-realism of like, okay, we have two people that are talking, so that's all we're going to see. Right on. Yeah, oh, yeah, just, you know, fun things to play around with. Why not? Yeah, I mean, it seems like you really took a, you embraced the, like you said earlier, do it how you will approach um, in writing this one and, you know, allowing it to be performed that way. So that's, that's really cool. It's, you know, it's a, it's a good time. I think I, I wrote somewhere in there. It's like art is never still or art is never static. Right. So if you, if you try to keep your stuff the same, you know, no matter what, eventually it's going to become like the 18th production of Romeo and Juliet. Everybody's seen where it's like three of those productions were really good, but 15 were absolutely forgettable because it's been done, you know, a billion times. Well, it's that whole approach of make your point, say what you're saying get the hell out. You don't need to hammer it. If your audience is paying attention, 
then mm-hmm. you, you don't have to hammer it in. And by jumping around so much and getting in and out, the audience has no choice <laughs> but to pay attention or be left behind. Or if they do blink, then, you know, it's not go. you don't have to turn to the person and go, what just happened? Mm-hmm. Because you're on to the next thing. Yeah, it, it reminds me a bit of, uh, God, what's the show called? It's like Almost Maine or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Very episodic. And I, I was lucky enough. I, my, my theater story is kind of fun. Um, my mother taught at the college that I ended up going to for like 15 years. So when I was a kid, I used to go to Nebraska Wesleyan theater productions and be like, holy cow, like these people are movie stars and they're right in front of me. <laughs> And one of those shows that was done was almost Maine as well. So I think that was sort of early on, like, oh, you can tell a story like this? That's kind of neat. That's the neat thing about theater, man. There's always, you know, it's really just your imagination's the limit. It is. Uh, And and the fact that it's just right there in front of you, too, means that there's just two people can be talking like something that would be absolutely the most boring thing in the world to watch in a film can be intriguing because there's that inherent i think almost like lizard brain danger alarm of like oh these are real people in front of me so if the conversation gets heated you kind of rise with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like that choose your own adventure like in the theater there's potentially half a dozen different stories you can watch and follow. Whereas like in film, it's definitely more focused and you're, you're led by the nose a little bit more. Yeah. Aren't we all inspired by the goosebumps, choose your own adventure books in our own ways. <laughs> you know, don't we all try, don't we all want to be that? Uh, so uh, how have you been spending your quarantine, Alex? Um, I was actually, I was just lucky enough that a theater in Jonesville, Michigan, which I think I mispronounced, I misspelled once as Jonestown, which is not the same thing. That's the place. No, where no, it's not. Not, so, not the same thing at all. My apologies for that. <laughs> um, they, the sock theater there put on uh, an hour long show, a uh, production over zoom, which is, it was super cool. Um, it, it was fun. I got to come in and do a bit of a, a breakdown of the script with the cast where they would read it. I would get a chance to, you know, do rewrites and stuff like that, bring it back to them. So that happened three or four times. And then, it, you know, it went up a few people watched, you know, it's on YouTube for all the hateful comments in the world. So <laughs> feel free to go. That's and awesome. uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. That hanging out with my cat occasionally, you know, taking a jog or something, trying to stay yeah. sane. Trying to stay sane. That's indeed, man. That's the, I think, the boat we're all in right now. Oh, yes. Right on. Well, thank you for joining us, sir. Of uh, course. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for sharing your uh, weird little adventure with us. <laughs> it is that. It is that. Thank you. Thank you for having it. I didn't know if it would ever, there would ever be a chance for it to, you know, be like, hey, I should submit that for something because it, it doesn't really fit in a whole lot. But thank you for uh, for reading it and just uh, spending a little time looking at it. Absolutely, my friend. Well, it was a pleasure. Uh, take care, stay healthy, and uh, as well. Shelter in Play is a roaming theater collaborative production produced by Spencer Thompson and Lucas James Nelson. 
We want to throw a special thank you to Alexander Wolf for sharing in Thropos with us and to our spectacular cast, Spencer G, Tina, Keith, Emma, Connor, Gavin, and Spencer F. If you liked this episode, check out episode two featuring Derek Troutwin's Fear Itself. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. If you want to stay up to date with the latest news over at Roaming, follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Roaming Theater. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.